0: You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show.
1: Okay, welcome back to Real Presence Live.
2: Thanks for staying with us on Real Presence Live. Before we go on to our next interview, did you know there's a Real Presence Radio app? There you can listen live. Find a podcast or submit a prayer request. That's the Real Presence Radio app, and look for it in your app store. And our last guest, who is from Velva, North Dakota, said that she can only listen on the app because our signal doesn't reach Velva. Right, so.
1: yeah, so mm-hmm. tell your friends, you know, if, uh, when you tell them about a program and they say we're out of the listening area, you can say, well, get the app. Mm-hmm. Okay, Adreno, go ahead with uh, some more to... hilarity.
2: Some more hilarity. <laughs> Okay. Um, Let's see. What does a sprinter eat before a race?
1: Fast food.
2: Kind of. Boy, we're
1: knocking them dead today, aren't we?
2: (laughs) The response, the the other other right answer is nothing. They fast.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs)
2: Should we try another one? Okay. Okay, how about... How do you get a squirrel to like you? Um, You're going to get this one, too. I just know it. Um, uh,
1: you just act nutty?
2: Yep. You act like a nut. Oh, okay. All <laughs> That's right. why we attract so many okay. squirrels to our backyard, Jack. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I tell you, the humor just doesn't stop here on this right. program, does it? Well, let's get to our guest who is no stranger to real presence radio? In fact, I think we'll have to call him our, our non-resident historian, Steve. And uh, I, I hope you're sporting your real presence radio cap by now. You should have gotten it in the mail several a number of weeks ago. Hey, Jack and Dorian, good
0: morning. Yeah, you know, like the cap uh, maybe is on its way. I'm still waiting for that nice coffee mug you promised as well.
1: Did I promise a coffee mug?
0: No, I'm just. <laughs> they are
2: very nice coffee mugs. So, yeah. <laughs> if you were to get one.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, Steve, you're no you're no uh, stranger to the program, like I said. But I think I'd like you to introduce yourself to all of our new listeners that have uh, joined us since you were last on, and that was about two months ago, I think,
2: mm-hmm. or just happened upon this radio station this morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm Steve Weidenkopf. I'm an uh, adjunct professor at the Graduate School of Christendom College um, in, uh, in now Front Royal, Virginia. We used to be in Alexandria. We just co-located with the undergrad campus in Front Royal now. And uh, I teach several courses there, all in church history. So uh, a couple of survey courses on church history one, church history two, and a special uh, course on the crusades every now and then. So. Um, You know, married to my beautiful wife, Casey, we have six children, one grandchild, and uh, written a number of different books on on church history over the last several years, and very excited to to be with everyone here today talking about, uh, I think, the Roman persecutions in the early church.
1: Right, and I I think that's going to be an interesting topic, because my guess is, like so many things in the church's history, that uh, once the secular uh, sources get a hold of it, they can kind of follow things up a little bit and give them an inaccurate uh, portrayal of what actually happened.
0: Yeah, that's actually true for, for many different topics. I don't think it's so much true for for the topic we'll look at today in terms of persecution. There's pretty widespread agreement on on what happened uh, to the early Christians in the Roman Empire in terms of the persecution from the empire and, and uh, why the Christians were persecuted Um at least, you know, in terms of the secular reasons, there might might not be any kind of focus from secular historians on any um, spiritual reasons or eternal reasons why why the persecution happened. But um, definitely, there's there's agreement on who who began the persecutions and why they began them and and how it impacted the church.
2: Okay, Steve, well, could you start by defining that um, period of time that we call the early church, the approximate years that that covers?
0: yeah usually that's a good question. I mean generally the early church is, is from the from Pentecost from the time of Christ, you know the apostles from Pentecost, uh, all those events are recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, all the way up through, usually about the year 300. Um, you know various historians will will, will uh, maybe put that marker in different places, but generally the first several centuries, first three or so centuries, of church history is considered to be, quote, the early church, if you will.
2: Okay, very good. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the Roman persecutions of the, so that, you know, the church, to back up, I mean, the church then obviously is kind of born into the world, right? And in the early first century AD, and the major political um, entity in the world at the time is the Roman Empire, um, you know, a vast organization that. Ultimately encompassed 60 million people. Was had 40 provinces. You know, it stretched all of what is modern day Europe and North Africa to the Holy Land, even up into England. Just a, a you know wide and amazing, uh, large uh, expanse of territory and peoples. And there were different groups of peoples, obviously within the empire but all were kind of united culturally in terms of, of being able to, to speak a common language. Greek was the common tongue that was spoken throughout all the different empire. Um, people had their own languages as well, but Greek was kind of the common tongue among the people and used for trade and activity, and then Latin was the official language of the Roman government and the Roman military and what have you. But um, the Church then kind of grew up in this, in this, uh, you know, gargantuan empire, and the empire ruled itself and ruled its various provinces with, with an iron fist, and it didn't particularly like uh, new groups that seemingly were separated from the empire. And so the church first kind of grew in with some suspicion, or the empire should say kind of looked at the church more with suspicion um, after, you know, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 A.D., when the Jew, Jewish people were dispersed, uh, even more so than they had been previous to that, and, and Christians began to separate themselves from the Jewish uh, communities. And so, you know, initially the Romans saw the Christians as just kind of a group of uh, Jewish people, a sect within Judaism, but then as it, as it separated the Church and began to spread, and more and more Gentile converts became Christians, uh, then it, it became to be seen as something unique and distinct. Um, and th- and then and then uh, then the Christians really gain attention if you will in the summer of the year 64 ad and that's when the mad Emperor Nero blamed the Christians for a massively destructive fire uh, that he allegedly had set that spread throughout the city and so deflect criticism from himself he blamed the Christians for it for that great fire
2: so and so- then uh, Oh, go ahead. Oh no, this question is a little bit of a a divergence, but I'm just wondering with a the Roman Empire being as massive as it was, how did they communicate? I mean we we communicate in seconds, you know, in the world we live in today. But how did they get the message out if they, you know, if the emperor didn't like a particular group or wanted?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, great um, question. So, yeah, the Empire, I mean, the Empire had, so the Empire was, was vast and, and wide-reaching, um, and, but, you know, established trade routes throughout the Empire, and because the Empire had expanded militarily, the, the Roman army really was the instrument with which uh, the roads, this, this very extensive road system was, was created. Um, all throughout you know Europe and North Africa, many of these kind of the found, these roads or the foundation of these roads still exist today, and are even used as roads in, in some areas still of Europe. So um, the so messages went back and forth between the army garrisons quite rapidly and quite uh, easily. Messages also went you know uh, across the, this road system through the various provinces uh, with with traders and merchants quite easily as well. So. It wasn't as fast, obviously, as, as today. As you mentioned, we can I can you know email somebody in Europe and they get it in seconds today. Um, you know, but uh, at the time of the Roman Empire, it wasn't that fast. But it wasn't as you know as difficult to communicate as you would think. It took time, obviously, for messages to get from one place to another because they had to travel by ship or by horse or by foot or all three. Um, but it, it uh, you know messages did spread quite quite effectively. And efficiently, and that's actually one of the reasons why the church grew substantially, because of this very extensive road system, and because of the extensive, uh, you know, uh, business and merchant and mercantile activity of the empire. Um, it was able, the message of the gospel was able to be dispersed um, quite thoroughly and efficiently and rapidly throughout the Roman Empire.
2: Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So the reason why the Christians begin to first be kind of viewed negatively by the empire is because of Nero, Nero blames them for this, uh, for this great fire in the city of Rome in the summer of 64. And so um, what Nero does is he blames the Christians for it. He rounds up the Christians in the city of Rome and its environs, it's so it's its locality. This wasn't an empire-wide persecution, but my like Christians in every province were being rounded up here during the time of Nero. It was really just centered in Rome. Um, but he also does something else. Besides, besides persecuting the Christians in Rome, he also outlaws the Christian faith. So he actually writes into law that it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. And that law to be, that was on the, the books, if you will, in the Roman Empire was, was from that year, 64, all the way until the early part of the fourth century until Constantine changes it. Um, so. All throughout those hundreds of years, it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. But as we'll see, um, not, every, not, not, not in every instance was that law implemented. Um, so there were periods of relative peace where the Christians were left alone, and the empire kind of ignored them. There were also periods of um, persecution, and sometimes those persecutions were empire-wide, uh, meaning every province, Christians everywhere throughout the empire were being, being harassed and tortured and executed and then other times, uh, the persecutions were just local, uh, like this one we were talking about here with Nero, very localized and just contained within a particular province, a particular city, a particular area of the, of the empire.
2: So, what was the threat that the Christians posed to the to the empire? I mean, maybe this is not the right time to ask this question. Well, it, 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 <laughs> well, we're we're coming
1: off. up on the break oh, right, right, right now, right, so, right, right, so, right. so I think... Let's uh, finish your question, and, and then we'll come back to it at, after the break. Right. Well, I guess, I guess you've already said the question. What was the threat that the Christians represented to the empire?
2: Right. You
1: know, or even locally too. You know, for and that matter. And I guess matter.
2: I would, I would add to that. What is that? How, how might that be true today?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Well, with that, let's go to the break. And uh, we're talking with Steve Weidenkopf about the uh, Roman persecutions during the, the early church, and it's a, I think it's a great discussion. So stay with us for more on the other side of the break, and we'll be with you then.
0: This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.
2: Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI Presented by Leonardo DiFilippis of St. Luke Productions
3: Creatures that can be one with Christ In the New Testament, Christ is referred to as the second Adam, as the definitive Adam, and as the image of God. This means that in him alone appears the complete answer to the question about what the human being is. Creation is, as it were, a preliminary sketch that points to him. This relationship of creature to Christ, of the first to the second atom, signifies that human persons are beings en route, beings characterized by transition. They are not yet themselves. They must ultimately become themselves. Human beings must die with Christ like a grain of wheat in order truly to rise, to stand erect, to be themselves. Human persons are not to be understood merely from the perspective of their past histories or from that isolated moment that we refer to as the present. They are oriented toward their future and only it permits who they really are to appear completely. We must always see in other human beings persons with whom we shall one day share God's joy. We must look upon them as persons who are called together with us to be members of the body of Christ with whom we shall one day sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and with Christ himself as their brothers and sisters, as the brothers and sisters of Christ, and as the children of God.
2: This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com.
0: You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show.
1: Okay, back to Real Presence Live with Jack and Doreen Canelli as your hosts. And we're talking to Steve Weidenkopf about the the Roman persecutions during the early church. And uh, we had a question at the on the front side before the break. And uh, I'm trying to recall it.
2: Why did the Christians pose a threat to the empire? Yeah, they would want to eliminate them.
0: Steve, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, and, you know, Doreen, and, and um, it's a question actually that the early Christians themselves even asked. Hmm. Um, we have accounts of you know, for example, some of the early church writers, and the apologists. We call them Saint Justin. Some, you know, he's uh, frequently called Saint Justin Martyr, but Saint Justin. Uh, Origen, Tertullian, many of these early Christian writers asked the same question in their, their, uh, defense of the faith when they would write about, uh, the p- pagan attacks against them. They even asked, like, why, why do you attack us? I mean, we're, we're everywhere. We, you know, we're good citizens. We try to live in peace with everybody. Um, you know, why, why are we being singled out and being attacked? And, um, you know, one of the, there's several different reasons kind of why, it, historians have have devised, you know, explained for these persecutions, Uh, and several of them, several of it is is akin to what we talked about, one of them, I should say, is akin to what we talked about before, uh, before the break with Nero, that many times there were um, issues, political issues, military issues, economic issues that impacted the empire, and people began to criticize the emperor for these issues, whatever they were, these problems. And just like politicians do today, you know, if you, you're criticized for something that uh, you, you are, you know, responsible for, but you don't want to take responsibility for, you you develop a or you point out a scapegoat. You say, well, it's, it's this group that's the reason for all of these problems. So, in many cases, when there were significant persecutions of Christians, it was because there was some economic or military or political uh, crisis or problem, and the emperors deflected blame. From that, for that crisis, onto the Christians and said, "Well, they're they're the responsible for it. So why did he pick the Christians and not not some other group? Well, that leads into some of these other uh, reasons for why the persecutions against Christians happened. One, the Christians were you know identifiable minority. They were and what I mean by that is that you could tell in Roman society just by how how Christians lived that they were Christians. And so what I mean by that is the christians although they participated in society you know they were they and they were members of all different professions and all different occupations and all different classes christians lived their faith authentically so that they didn't participate in things that were antithetical to the faith which were normal to roman society so they avoided going to the public baths for example because they were areas of, of sexual immorality and iniquity they did not attend the gladiatorial games and spectacles, and things like that, which a normal Roman would do. Um, Christians also refused to worship, you know, weren't the, the pagan gods. And we have to take into account that from a Roman viewpoint, the Romans understood worship and religion and worship of their pagan gods as linked to the success and the welfare of the state. So refusal to worship a state god in their minds, was tantamount to treason. It was, it was akin to you saying, well, I don't care about the success of the Roman Empire, I want to see it fall, I don't care about the emperor, these kinds of things. Uh, and not only that, that by refusing to worship the state gods, you would then anger the pagan gods, and then calamity would befall the empire because the gods weren't worshipped. And so they looked at the Christians and said, you are going to cause the downfall of the empire, or you're going to cause some great calamity because you're not with us. You're not, you know, you're refusing to participate with with the, the state-sponsored um, religion. Now, one could argue, well, well, there were groups that didn't do that. For example, the Jewish people. Why did the Romans tolerate them? Great question. The reason for the toleration of the Jewish people is that Romans really understood Religion and and worship of gods or a god to be focused either with one particular group like a, a an ethnicity like the Jewish people a particular race or and or uh, worship was confined to a specific place or specific region um, and and so for for the Romans religion was tied to like a land or a race or a people Christians as we know right the Christian faith um, kind of. Uh, you know, is 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 universal, right? It's it's not tied to just one specific area. It's not tied just to the temple in Jerusalem. It's not tied just to the Holy Land. It's not just tied to one city or one region or one area. It's universal. Christians aren't just people of a specific race or a specific ethnic group. Uh, the Christian faith is for everyone, right? Regardless of faith, or regardless, rather, of race. Regardless of where you came from. Regardless of what occupation you have. Um, regardless of what member, what what part of society you're a member of, right? So that posed a significant because of all that, the universality, if you will, and unity of the faith posed for the in the Roman mind a, a huge, significant threat to to the welfare of the empire.
1: Did the did the citizenry uh, kind of reflect this attitude, or was it more driven by? Uh you know the powers that be you know, the government and the roman's army.
0: Yeah sure that's a great question and and it's, it it kind of depends is the answer so we know that um as we mentioned earlier uh, nero's persecution that started this whole thing if you will. Um initially you know the people were happy to sure okay it's the christians you know we we know it's not really the christians it's you nero but fine you want to blame them you know they the Mormon populace didn't necessarily care initially. But once they saw how cruelly Nero treated the Christians, and we have accounts of this from the Roman historian Tacitus in his annals, where he describes how the Christians were arrested, how horribly they were tortured, how um, in execution, what Nero ordered was for them to be bound together on pole, to be bound to a pole with ropes, doused in oil, and then lit on fire at night to basically serve as street lamps all throughout the city. I mean, horrific ways in which he killed the Christians. And so, because of that, that horrific nature and how the Christians refused to, um, you know, cease their belief in Christ, how they refused to apostatize, if you will, then the sentiment or the, the sentiments of the Roman populace changed. They saw, well, these people really believe what they say they believe, and you know, you're 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 killing them just because you know you're trying to deflect blame, and it actually. His ferocity actually changed the 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 uh, view, if you will, of the Roman populace towards the Christians, and we see that in many different cases and many other persecutions as well. Though the manner in which the Christians uh, held to their faith and you know how heroically they they maintained the faith despite all of these horrible ways to die or to be tortured, really moved people, uh, the Roman populace, to ask questions and to say things like, "Why are they willing to suffer like this?" Um, you know, it really, in a certain sense, kind of served their the martyrdom of the of the martyrs, served as a an evangelistic tool, really, in a certain way, right? Helps to bring about uh, questions in the minds of the Roman people to say there must be something to this Christian faith that these Christians are willing to suffer so horribly at the hands of our politicians. It really began to move people and to see the Christians a different light.
2: So that there, thus, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Um, absolutely, it's very interesting to think that had the Christians stayed within the confines of their whatever their church, home churches were and didn't live their life as as Christians, they wouldn't have been martyred. They would have been safe, but the church yeah, would not have grown. And and you know, then fast forward to where we are today, um, it's almost as if our culture now is saying. Just worship on Sunday. Just stay in your little churches and and don't don't bring that faith out into the world. But here we are in Catholic Radio using the airwaves.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a great uh, it's a great uh, you know tie, if you will, between and it's it's one of the beauties of, of church history, right? Is that we can learn from the the actions of the men and women who have come before us in faith and take solace in how they lived and try to emulate them as well. And you're exactly right, Doreen. I mean. That's that's uh, you know society, even modern society, right? Was kind of like the wants the church in many ways, and Christians to just like you said, right? Just worship on Sunday, go to church, and keep your faith there. Don't put it out in the public sphere. Don't don't demand you know uh, that our laws be tied to Christian morality and to you know human decency. Um, do, do, you know, just be quiet and then you won't be, you won't be affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually, that's actually what, um, you know, one of the, uh, early imperial legates, a man by the name of Pliny the Younger, actually asked that question among the, to the Emperor Trajan. He wrote a letter to him and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm here out here in Bithynia, which is in modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. And I had some people come and merchants complain to me that the Christians are harming their The presence of all these Christians in the city are harming their business because people have become a Christian and not not buying their, their pagan wares. You know, what am I supposed to do? Do I need to round these Christians up or, you know, do I round them up or do I just let them go? I mean, I know that Nero outlawed them, but how do you want me to handle this? And Trajan emailed them back. That's modernity coming out. Yeah, right? it but, sure is. <laughs> Yeah, sent him back a message saying, um, you know, uh, no, don't don't harm them. If they're, if they're quiet, um, you know, if they don't profess their faith, they don't make a nuisance of themselves, then fine, let them be. Um, and, and don't go out of your way to persecute them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that didn't last very long because then an earthquake happened, you know, a bit after that uh, time, and uh, it had destroyed Antioch, the city of Antioch, and Trajan was there, and he was injured. And then people began to blame the Christians. Well, you know, the city was never destroyed when we worshiped the pagan gods. Now we have all these Christians, and the pagan gods are upset. I mean, this earthquake happened, and it, is, it destroyed large sections of the city, so it's their fault, and we have to round them yeah. up and kill them. Um, so there was, there was always this kind of interplay of, you know, how publicly do we make our faith, and how, how do we not?
1: Yeah, in the minute we have left, or less, do you have a favorite saint from that time that you could tell us about?
0: Oh, you know, there's so many during this time. I mean, St. Saint, uh, Saint Agnes, St. Saint Sebastian, I think St. Sebastian probably would be my favorite one from this period. A Roman soldier who refused to apostatize and was martyred and um, has been beloved ever since.
1: Okay, well, the music's coming up. Steve, thanks for being with us. And for our listeners, we ask you to stay with us to find out how the Knights of Columbus are providing places to rest for those in need. And later on, we'll be discussing how the Holy Spirit has worked in a local couple's life. So we'll be right back on the other side of this break with more Real Presence Live. And again, thank you, Steve Weidenkopf, and we hope to have you on again.